Well, here we are, week two of our Reset Refocus series. I hope that you found last week encouraging, those of you who, who have been engaging. Uh, the aim of this time, this month in our church, is for us to address head-on the, the very real effects and circumstances that we're all living through. Um, we have an aim to, to get back on track when it comes to living for and with Jesus. Uh, our, our shared devotional material, we're a week in. Uh, Mike's given the shout out, I'm going to do it again because we can't emphasize it enough. I hope a bunch of us have gotten to take part in this time together when we're apart. We're still doing this together as we focus on the, the same portion of God's word each day. Hopefully at the same time, um, this has had the effect of, of rekindling, reinvigorating your own personal devotional rhythms in your homes. Elise and I have actually been um, not just uh, reading this, but reading it together and discussing it. I found that to be a really helpful reminder of what it means for us to worship in our home. So I've been blessed by it um, as well. Um, if you are yet to start taking, taking advantage of this, let me just say as well, uh, let me encourage you. It's not too late to start. One, one person in our small group this week was saying that he felt like because he'd missed a few days, he, he'd, he'd get the incomplete experience if he was to pick it up halfway through. He knew that wasn't true, but he was saying that that's how his mind works. If that is you and you're a completionist, um, don't let that get in the way. Um, many of us have said um, we have found a consistent devotional life, a challenge at the present time. And so maybe this can be helpful in, in building some healthy habits of soul for you. Uh, the idea of this series is simple enough. Uh, we, we've noticed, haven't we all, that the, that the wind has gone out of the sails a little bit, um, generally speaking, uh, and specifically spiritually speaking. Uh, and so we are going to seek the Lord together and attempt to refocus our lives Last week, we heard that most central of calls, the most precious of invitations that Jesus gives to us to abide in him, to live in him, to dwell in him, to draw near and to stay near, to cast ourselves along with all of our worries, our hopes, our flaws, and our happiness upon him that we might gain Jesus and become fruitful and joyful people. How central. Today, we turn to a new theme. Uh, we have called it Assemble, and it's about being a healthy part of the church and the role that Jesus intends for the church to play in your life. And it's an urgent message uh, for our church and for others. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm quite a strong introvert. I'm, I'm so much of an introvert that sometimes when I am home alone, that's not alone enough, and I will go into my office and close the door and lock it even though nobody else is in the house. Is there anyone else like me? I got one, I got one hand at the back. Okay, there's two of us, and the others were too introverted to raise their hands. <laughs> so of an evening, after getting home from a, a, a big day at work, a, a more draining day at work, sometimes we, we go through the night routine, and, and having young children, the difficulties really start somewhere at about 4 p.m., right? That's when the kids start getting ready, and they don't stop getting ready until they're unconscious, um, which happens through sleep, for the record, through sleep. They become unconscious. <laughs> Once we finally got them asleep, somewhere between 7.30 and midnight, Elise and I will finally sit down on the couch together, and I will often say something to her like, I think I'd like to be alone, uh, which invariably will lead Elise to say something to me like, well, could we be alone together? <laughs> now, uh, it, it doesn't take a genius to know that she's right, uh, and that there is something about that togetherness which is essential to our healthy home, isn't it? Were I to neglect this, I would be neglecting something important. 
Uh, well, brothers and sisters, if we are to neglect our togetherness as the church, we are neglecting something important. Um, one of the consequences of the difficulties of the last few years is that regular church attendance for our average member here at church has become a lot less frequent. That's a reality. Uh, now, let's start here by acknowledging that there are some very legitimate causes for this, lest we heap false guilt upon people. There has been an increase uh, in the frequency with which people get sick. I think that's nationwide. That's not just us, but we've, we've felt that. Some of you in, in particular have had months that dragged, that dragged on and on and on as one member of your family at a time went, went, went down with, with a consistent illness. Um, many of you have spent long periods of time staying home as illness moved through your families, and none of the warnings in today's message are specifically aimed at you. I, I, I need you to hear that. Um, what you need from your church is compassion and love, and that's what you're going to get. Uh, you've been through genuine hardship. Having said that, what is also true is that over the last three years, for many of us, the, the threshold of how difficult things need to be before we stayed home has come down significantly. And a lot of you have nodded along with that, as I've said it to you in person over the last few weeks. Um, what we've lived through is a period of time where the message from every authority in our world has essentially been, if in doubt, stay home. Um, the, the approaches to dealing with the pandemic have meant that there has been a constant message just in the air, no matter where you went or when you went. And we've heard the words so often that they've always become a, ma a mantra, haven't they? For three years now, this has been culture forming, social distance, isolate, avoid gatherings which has had a, a cumulative effect on us. Uh, we are all also, as a result, increasingly engaging with the world through the, the constant drama of the internet and social media in particular, which has all had the effect of, of further isolating us and increasing our anxiety. Now, please understand, I'm not seeking to give you medical advice, but what I do know is this, as a pastor and as a Christian, it's that if all of this has led to your church attendance going from regular to being once a fortnight or once a month or less, then this change in your life is bringing you to spiritual harm. Taking consistent part in the life of the church is not a spiritual nicety. It is a spiritual necessity. Without it, we stagnate. The church, this, this body here in front of you, your, your brothers and sisters sitting on either side of you are God's gift to you. We were not designed as creatures to live in isolation, and we were not redeemed as Christians to remain disconnected from one another. And so for all of us, hitting reset on a healthy balance in life is going to require us to reassess how we approach being part of church be it this one or another. Now, this, this theme of the church is literally all over the New Testament. It's one of those themes where we are spoiled for choice when it comes to where we would turn uh, in God's word to get his perspective on the role the church is meant to play in our lives. We could talk about, and notice I am talking about, the word in the Bible which we translate as church literally means the assembly, a church which does not assemble is not a church. 
The church is the assembly of the called out ones. God chose that word to communicate something of our nature. For the longest time before our hyper-individualistic culture, Christians understood their salvation as being saved into the church, saved into Christ, into the body of Christ, the church. That we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit, our Bible teaches. But just like when it came to abiding, the, the, the Bible doesn't just tell us to do it. The Bible doesn't just tell us to assemble. No, God knows us better than that. The Lord also entices us with promises of reward to those who would heed him. And that's where we're going to give our attention today. There are some promises in the Bible for the church which are absolutely shocking in their generosity. Today, I want to remind you of just just two of these, just two of these passages, which shows us the way in which the church assembled together is going to be a blessing in your life and the lives of others. What we're going to do is to look at these two passages, which tell us what God has promised to do through the church, things that we will not experience even as Christians without the church. Why don't we take a look? Our first passage today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, where Jesus promises us his power and his presence when we are gathered together. Matthew 18, is a, it's an interesting uh, chapter in general. Verses 15 through 17 describe the role which the church has in reconciliation and church discipline between specifically believers. Flag that for later. <laughs> That's an important passage. That's an area where both Mike and I believe our church's governance structure does not narrowly reflect biblical truth. Our official church discipline policy puts far too much responsibility on the pastors and not enough on the church. Um, and that is a thing that we would like to grow in. It's one of those things that um, you want to do properly or not at all, and we haven't had the, the ram to, to change that yet. But it's, it's, I just wanted to just get it out there. It's a seed for later. This context matters for our understanding of the passage, however. This, this context of, of, of believers who need to reconcile. Go one. Go with a few witnesses. If that doesn't work, take it to the church, we are told. That context matters because Jesus has drawn our attention to the fact that the church together has a function that we as Christians cannot perform alone, do you understand? You can't take it to the church if your church doesn't assemble. When two Christians can't reconcile a grievance face-to-face or with their two or three witnesses together with them, they are then to take it to the church who will sort them out. Following on immediately from that, Jesus explains why it is that the church is going to be able to handle this responsibility in verse 18. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is enormous. I will do some explaining. I know that that is somewhat confusing. The last time that we heard Jesus talk about loosing 
and binding. Another way to understand those two words together with their relationship would be tying and untying, withholding and releasing. The last time we heard Jesus talk about loosing and binding in Matthew's gospel was in chapter 16 in speaking with the apostle Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration where on the, uh, no, uh, uh, just before that, um, where Jesus is talking with Peter and Peter confesses who he believes Jesus to be. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, in response, has promised this spiritual power of loosing and binding to Peter the Apostle. And now we see two chapters later, the power and presence of God is promised not only to Peter, but to the assembled church. When the church gathers in the name of Jesus, Jesus has said he is going to be among us, adding his spiritual presence and spiritual authority to our prayerful decisions and ministry. I mean, this, this, this promise is incredible. This promise foreshadows the era of, the, of spirit-filled grace that we are living in. There I am among them, says Jesus. There are churches, this is Sunday, isn't it? All over this city, meeting together in Jesus' name right now. There, there are churches all over this country, dare you think it? There are churches all over this planet, meeting in the name of Jesus this morning. I don't know how time differences work. I'm sure they're meeting right now. And Jesus has said, I am among them. How is that even possible? Before the cross, this, this promise could not have made sense. But now, after Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand and sent his spirit to indwell us, now, now it makes sense, does it not? God is with us all the time as believers. We always have this indwelling presence. That is a truth of your Bible. But this promise of Christ goes further. There is an increased, there is a specific, there is a special manifestation of the presence of Christ and his attendant power when the church gathers together in his name. Isn't that incredible? This is a gift of grace to us that God has designed to bless us in all sorts of ways. How could it be any other way? Like, how could it be any other way? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you familiar with that verse? It shows us one of the reasons why we miss the togetherness of faith. In English, there is no distinct plural second person pronoun, which means there's no difference between singular you and plural you. It makes it very, very difficult for us to understand our Bibles. Let me formally change that today. The English language will never be the same. Now, instead of you and you, we will say here in an Baptist church, at the very least, you and you all. You're listening. My Bible does not say that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's not, what, that's not what it says. It says, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's plural. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Stop and think. Stop and think. What is the temple? What is the temple? The temple is the place on earth where God dwells and meets with his people to redeem them and minister to them in his presence and his power. That is what the temple is. And we, together, are that place on earth. Now let's turn off the yours because I absolutely will not remember to do that for the rest of the sermon. But all of this is to say that there is a power, the power of Christ, and a presence, the presence of Jesus himself, promised to the church gathered together in a way that you cannot take part if you are not here. This does not translate over the internet. For those of you watching on the stream, both of you, there is some benefit, and there is some benefit missing. If you stop coming to church, you are in effect saying, I am content to have less of the power and presence of Jesus in my life than he has very graciously intended to share with me. We need each other. That is by God's design. And when we listen to him, we get more of him. This teaching contradicts those who in our day insist that they love Jesus but not the church. This passage that we have just read from Matthew 18 is one of the most misquoted passages that I have ever heard in the Bible. It was especially a hot topic when I was studying for ministry. Um, an earlier form of the what I would call the obnoxious ideology of postmodern deconstructionism, which had begun making its way into the church. The postmoderns reject the concept of objective truth, preferring instead subjective experience and reflection, which sounds very trendy. It had a way of making... Uh, of trying to make it seem trendy and cool, uh, to tear things down, to disassemble, to deconstruct everything into its basic parts, and then to remake it according to our preferences. The thing that they remade, the things that they remake, have a way of reflecting their preconceived notions of how great we all are. Like a toddler that breaks things and thinks they've accomplished something. It is far harder to build things than to break them. And what this philosophy really represents is self-righteousness. When I was training for ministry, this philosophy was doing its best to deconstruct church from the inside. Lots of people were listening to them. And they would turn here to, to Matthew 18 in their Bibles, and they would say, here is the basic form of the church. Everything else, everything else is just the traditions of, of history, distorting the simplicity of what Jesus said it should be. What is the church, they would answer. When two or more are gathered in my name, that is a church, these fools would say. So I can go to the pub with my mates, and we can talk about Jesus, and that's church. They began to reshape church without first coming to a proper understanding of what we cannot reshape. The reason I bring all this up is because just this week, I have been listening to two separate podcasts and literally heard somebody make this argument in both occasions, neither of which were Christian podcasts. So this idea is still out there, it's still alive, and it's still well. So let's correct a misunderstanding. Matthew 18 
is not a definition of church. It is not. It does not describe the whole of what church is meant to be. That's reductionistic. Let's put it in its proper context. These verses in Matthew 18, what they are, is an overwhelmingly generous promise that we should all find precious, that God has promised to do things when we are here together that are different, that are more special, that are exceptional than when we are alone. Brothers and sisters, here we are today, assembled in the name of Jesus. And so we must conclude, he is here. He is among us in his power and in his presence. And he has promised that what we together bind and loose, tie and untie, spiritually speaking, has the authority of God given to it. Our actions and decisions here are spiritually decisive in the blessing or the withholding of blessing to others. I don't have that authority. Church has that authority. Do you suspect that God is withholding something of his blessing from your life for some reason? Have you had that experience? That his, his presence is hovering, but not landing somehow? That there is something in your life which is standing between you and him that needs dealing with before you experience in your life the fullness of the way in which he intends to bless you, the life to the full which he has promised. It may well be that it is in the context of church, assembled together, praying and discerning, deciding and reconciling that God intends to meet you in his power and to loose his blessings. I'm speaking this both to Christians and to those who are not yet believers. The previous part of Matthew 18 is about the brothers, those who are in the family. But we, we were reading the Gospel of John last week and the conversation with the disciples that took place in the upper room on the last night before Jesus went to the cross. Earlier in that conversation, in John 13, Jesus had said this to them in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have Love for one another. There is something about the love of the church for the church. I'm going to say that again. There is something about the love of the church for the church that demonstrates to the unbelieving world the reality of Jesus. It is essential to our witness as Christians that the gospel community be visible. And it is visible in our love for one another. This unlocks the blessing of salvation to some. Think about it. 
You, you here today who have become believers, was it not true that at some point in your moving towards faith that you encountered a community of faith, a group of people united by a common worship who loved one another well and demonstrated to you the kind of difference that the gospel makes in a life and in meeting them, you met Jesus. My Bible and me under a tree is no substitute for the church. There's a lot more that could be said here. We'll we'll come back to this passage later. It's It's a doozy. There's so much more to say. But for today, let it be said that the power and the presence of Jesus is among us here together this morning. We stand on holy ground. That we can expect to meet with him and to experience his blessing together today. Let me give you one more. Another passage which is really important in understanding the blessing of the church comes to us in Hebrews chapter 10. In this passage, the author, I think it's Paul, but it isn't certain, has just told us that the sacrifice of Jesus is once and for all effective. The sacrifice of Jesus is once and for all effective. And so we should have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that because we have a great high priest named Jesus, that we should all draw near to God in the full assurance of faith. Why, we ask, are we able to enter into God's holy places, God's holy presence? On what grounds can we enter? Where does our assurance come from? The answer is on the basis of our faith in Jesus. This we confess. And so Hebrews 10 concludes. 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Here we see that there is a connection between the church meeting together and our assurance. And our meeting together has a function. We are to stir up one another to love and to good works. And again, we are to encourage one another. And increasingly so, the closer we get to Jesus' return. The the more we see evidence in this world that he is coming, the more motivation we have to meet together, to stir up one another, and to encourage one another. Do you see it? Here we see an important thing about church 
attendance. And it's this. It's not only about you. You have something to contribute here. We are worse off if you don't come. One of the reasons why you need to be here is to bless others, to stir them up and encourage them towards assurance and towards godly living and towards generosity. Thinking of what we just read before, this is part of the loosing, the untying of God's blessing in the lives of your brothers and sisters. It may well be that it is your encouragements, your praying with someone else today, that is the encounter that God has planned to use to bring great blessing into their lives. Have you had that experience? Where you have come to church, wrestling with the Lord, and your brother or sister has noticed, has placed their hand on your shoulder at the end of a service or in the cheeky two minutes while the kids are running off to Sunday school. Said, can I pray with you? Then came the tears. Then came the answer. Then came the provision. We come to church in order to, amongst other things, encourage one another, to give courage to one another. And if you aren't here, you can't do that. Yes, we have relationships with one another outside of Sunday, and you can bless each other there too. In fact, we must. Two things can be true. But this passage in Hebrews speaks specifically to us of the meeting. For us, Sunday. This is central in God's plan for his church. To stay away when you really could be here is to, in effect, say, I do not care if my brothers or sisters go without my encouragement. This teaching cuts against the false idea of consumerism. Let's say it bluntly. We live in a consumeristic culture, and that is how many people approach church. It's easy to do. Even the mature among us are tempted to think this way at times. I know that I am. The conversation happens at home at about 8 p.m., 8, 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Are we going to church today? Do we have anything else on? Is Kidsmen on? Or will we have to look after them ourselves? Who is preaching? Mike. Mm. <laughs> How are you feeling? You got it in you? We had a big day yesterday, didn't we? Do we, have, do we have anything else on? I think we do. Let's go to lunch. Lamentably, since the rise of the megachurch movement, uh, probably starting in the 80s at least, many churches have structured themselves specifically to enable this tendency. It was a strategy for growth. If we are going to grow, they reasoned, we need people to be saved, yes. But what we also want is all of the Christians in our area to come here instead of somewhere else. How are we going to convince them to come to our church and not another? I have an idea. We lower the barrier of entry. 
We offer them services and programs and comfort. We de-emphasize the cost of being part of the church, and we make coming here easy and entertaining. We cater to consumers. And unfortunately, it means that we disciple consumerism. This means that it is possible to come to church and miss something of the point. God is going to bless you here. That is a promise. You are also here to bless others. That is also the point. Brothers and sisters, when we, when we take these two ideas and we put them together, do you not see the beauty of God's design? That where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is among us. And what we loose and bind on earth will be loose and bound in heaven, tied and untied, released or withheld. That when we gather together in his name, we are to encourage one another and to stir one another up, which means that in our gathering, you will feel, you will experience, you will have unlocked for you something of Christ's blood-bought blessing for you. And you will play part. Your life will contribute to that blessing being unlocked for others. Why would we choose to go without that when we could otherwise have it? I was speaking with another pastor this week as, as I was reflecting on the, just using him as a sounding board for the content of the sermon. He reminded of, of, of me of just how differently the persecuted church thinks about these things. In places where it is dangerous to go to church on a Sunday, their, their little script that they run through in their head to decide, am I going today, just must be so different to ours, is it not? Is Kidsmen on is not the question. Is there a bomb in the building today? We still might go. We have been discipled by our circumstances, circumstances which are beyond our control, into an isolated and self-absorbed way of living. And Christ, in his wisdom and in his grace to us, is calling us to a different kind of living which is of benefit to you and to others. This is not just a command. It is a promise and an invitation to come and take part in the life of his body, his visible presence here on earth. To bless, to be blessed and to bless, to know and to be known, to encourage, to strengthen, to stir up, to call, to invite and have all those things done to you by many voices. God's plan, the church, is to his glory and your benefit. Let us take that seriously. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we here gathered together in your name, we come before you now and we plead. 
the present circumstances which we are all living through are genuinely difficult, Lord. Life is, is harder in some ways than it used to be. And whilst these last three years have not affected us all in the same way, it has affected us all. It has changed culture. It has changed worldviews. It has changed our sense of security and safety. Father, we thank you that your perspective on our lives is not limited to the last three years. That we can trust your word to be true in all situations and circumstances. We pray that your wisdom would guide us how to live well in our present circumstances. Lord, we want this church and all the other churches to know and to experience the blessing of your presence and your power. We want everyone who claims the name of Christ to know the nearness, the togetherness of faith. Lord, despite what my personality or my preferences or my culture tells me, I need this. You are smarter than me. You are kinder than me. You are more holy than I. We want to be a fruitful people and a happy people. We also want to be a holy people. Lord, I pray for the Inaugural Baptist Church this morning. That even now we would be experiencing what it is to be a part of the temple of Jesus. Lord, to be here amongst our brothers and sisters and to know what it means that you dwell here with us, that you minister to here, minister to us here, that you redeem and you forgive and you reconcile and you transform and you send. Would I not leave here this morning, my Jesus, without both having been encouraged and built up and strengthened in my trust of you, and having also passed that blessing on to another. We pray this in Jesus' name.